Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On tonight's episode, we look at another week of Copa Libertadores action, where it was a good week for Chilean sides for once, and a pretty bad one for Uruguayans, so all smiles here. There's also chat about Vinicius Jr. rising to the big occasion, as well as the coming of age of a couple of other South American youngsters. Joining me to discuss all the exciting action is, first of all, Simon Edwards in Colombia. How are you tonight, Simon? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, looking forward to discussing the action. I've been in Peru this week, so I've had to grab the games as, 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 I, as much as I could. But uh, yeah, no, looking forward to discussing and perhaps finding out about the ones I missed. But uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into some exciting Libertadores action. And also joining me tonight is Austin Miller. How are you doing, Austin? I'm doing well, Adam. I was quick to notice that you got all of the positives from your perspective in there right at the start. This is going to be a great show for you, isn't it? Chilean side's good, Uruguayan side's bad, and your man Vinicius Jr. with the performance. You've got to be in a good mood, no? Come on. How many months do you think I've been waiting for a show like this? I can't remember the last time you had a positive show to do, so I guess I'll give you a little bit of a break on that. Exactly, exactly. Um, Anyway... as you say, there's only one place to start really tonight, and that was Emelec 1, Flamengo 2. So the one word I kept saying about Vinicius Jr. over the last year or so was fearlessness. It's the fearlessness I associate with him, and it's the way he took those both, both of his goals on Wednesday night showed that for me. And sort of given his mental and physical attributes, I find it difficult to believe he, he will sort of regress from here really. But who knows, there's, there's still a long road road ahead. Austin, I was actually playing football at the time and I came home and just saw the, the two goals from Vinicius Jr. just in time. And that's all I have to go on. But what happened before that? You know, from everything I've read, he was the game changer, no? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be quite honest, you, you saw the moments of this match that mattered. Um, and that was Vinicius Jr. coming in and... And really rescuing this Flamengo side on a night when, in truth, they really didn't have any business being rescued. Um, they were fine. It was nil-nil with an hour played, uh, coming off a home draw against River Plate. Flamengo needed a result here. I don't know that they necessarily needed all three of the points. Obviously, they won't complain that they got them. Um, but it was nil-nil, and then Emelec popped up, and, and it was Brian Angulo uh, who put them in front one-nil. And you started thinking, uh-oh, Flamengo might be in trouble here. Having some flashbacks maybe to last year in the Libertadores where they, they just could not get a result away from Rio. And having already dropped points at home, this was a big, big night for them. Uh, and then the one change the max that Carpeggiani made, he only made one substitution all night. He brings on Vinicius Jr. right after the goal from Angulo. It's, they're down 1-0, uh, and he just rescues this side with two very well-taken goals, two class finishes, uh, got himself into position both times really well, um, and turns this match around for Flamengo, gives them the 2-1 win, kickstarts their Libertadores campaign, his first Libertadores match ever, um, and this is kind of one that I'm, I, I'm with you, Adam. It just feels like this is one you're going to remember about this kid for a while. Um, his performance w- was top-notch. He single-handedly got Flamengo the three points on a night in which they probably shouldn't have. Emelec, it's not as though Emelec was fantastic, and, and this is you know robbing them of three points. But they were the better side throughout the majority of this match until Vinicius Jr. came on. Um, Jefferson Montero did not start this match, but came off the bench and gave them a little bit of energy, a little bit of pace. 
Um, I know I was talking with Simon Prepod, and, and he said that it certainly seems like Montero is kind of at a level above in this competition. So Flamengo just sent a bunch of bodies at him, which is kind of oftentimes what happens in Libertadores when someone is that much better. Um, but on this night, Vinicius Jr.'s night, it was all three points for Flamengo. Um, and now you look at this group, and they have to be feeling a lot better about themselves because they still have a home match against Emelec to come. They still have two matches with Santa Fe where they can probably think that they can do well. They still have to go to River Plate, but that's a struggling side. Flamengo are atop this group provisionally. They've played two. River and Santa Fe have only played one. Um, but this was absolutely massive. Simon, what did you make of it? Were you as impressed by Vinicius Jr. as seemingly everybody was? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, I still think he's raw. You know, people always say young players are raw. You know, to some extent, it's true, and I think he still is. But that's kind of part of his charm. You know, he, he as you said, fearlessness. You know, he drives at the defenders. He backs himself. You know, he came on and his first attempt on goal almost hit the corner flag, but it didn't deter him. You know, he, he sliced one, but then he was bang on it and you know driving at the defense. You know, he's so his acceleration is so good and his touch is so you know so effective that he makes things happen. And on this night, everything fell into place. Perhaps other games, as he's developing, it it won't in, in such a way, but he's always going to make things happen. And on, this, on the other side of things, I think for Emelec, uh, Jefferson Montero, he really made things happen. And I think it's amazing that his opposition uh, defender, I think it's Rene for Flamengo, didn't get sent off because every time uh, Jefferson got the ball... There were immediately three or four Flamengo players lunging in on him. You know, they were really panicked by his introduction at the second half. And I think um, he's going to be a very important player for them if they're going to qualify. You know, sometimes his decision making was off. Again, that's the story of his career in some ways. You know, a player with so much talent. His touch was impeccable. He beat the player for pace every time. But sometimes he would draw three Flamengo defenders over, keeping the ball them getting more and more frustrated and, and more and more defenders being drawn across. And he didn't then play it simple and open across the, the pitch. He instead tried to beat them on the outside. Um, so sometimes his decision-making was off, but he was he was quality. He was, you know, it was one of those performances where he just got the ball and every time he got it, all of the crowd stood up and go, here we go. And uh, he would, you know, he would he would flick it through the defender's legs. He would scoop it over their heads you know he got a lot of one of a lot of free kicks as well he in fact he got kicked in the chest and then got a yellow card for pushing the player and the defender got nothing so on another day maybe uh his introduction and and the the cards that he drew or the fouls that he drew and the cards that didn't appear uh could have left flamengo with 10 men and and maybe prevented them making that uh impressive comeback and getting those three points so overall for me those two players stood out Uh, vinicius jr very very exciting player uh, fearless, precocious talent with with some great physical attributes, and Jefferson Montero, who was introduced at halftime, as you say, but a player who was very, very interesting. Um, so, it'll be interesting to see how he does moving forward in the tournament. You know, MLX always a team, you know, with good physical, you know, combative, you know, pace on the wings, and and having someone with a bit of class and a bit of extra confidence. Because you know, with with teams like Emelec, they you know they're very competitive and they back themselves. But having someone with a bit more poise and a bit more, you know, confidence to slow things down or speed things up, I think Montero could be key for them uh, in in this group and in this tournament. Yeah, I think Austin brought up an interesting point where he mentioned Flamengo in last year's Libertadores. You know, they couldn't get anything on the road, and yeah, they lost one 0 away to Universidad Católica. They lost 2-1 to Paranaense, and they lost 2-1 uh, to San Lorenzo. But they did win all three home games. Um, but I do remember 
I might have even said it on the pod last year, but one thing I felt that Flamengo lacked um, last year on the road was a player who could come off the bench and change a game for them. So that impact that Gene, uh, Vinicius Jr. had on this game, if he, if he can keep doing that, then obviously he's going to be a starter before long. But I, you know, it just gives them that wild card that they lacked last year. And you know, don't forget, Flamengo did end up getting to the Sudamericana final last year as well. So it's a squad with some continental know-how now so yeah they, they could they could well be a team to watch going forward in this competition although Austin you probably don't want to hear that <laughs> it's fine it's fine it's fine uh one final thing to note about them as well is they're still without of course Paulo Guijero the Peruvian striker still serving that doping ban he'll be back um, before the World Cup and so he will be back for Flamengo in this competition at some point um, so they're still kind of just trying with a mismatch up top with Enrique Dorado, who's just not at that same class. So who knows when they get Guillermo back? You know, that's somebody for Vinicius Junior to maybe work with up top too. Yeah, I, I think I read this week that they've started paying his contract again. Though. Yes, yeah. So should be. I don't know the exact date on it. I haven't done the math, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he can make an appearance for them in the group stage. I believe he's registered for the group stage so that that would tell me that at some point he should you know be a factor for them here okie dokie let's move on to tuesday um well let's move back to tuesday night should i say um and another pleasing moment for me and that was universidad de chile grabbing a one nil victory in rio against vasco da gama angelo arreos is uh display i've already seen a couple of people refer to him as the chilean caca which um, which I think might be overigging it a little bit, but it was a really impressive performance, and it also led his manager, um, Guillermo Oyes, to, to say that um, it reminded him of Uruguayan legend Enzo Francescoli. So <laughs> there's quite a lot of pressure on, on this Chilean 21-year-old already after what was you know just one great performance. Um, but yeah, he seems like a player who's gone sort of under a radar a little bit here in, in Chile. And even the new Chile boss, Ronaldo Ruda, left him out of like a sparring session recently, which featured sort of 20 odd of the best Chilean uh, players in the Chilean league. So yeah, it, it, was, it was a surprise to many, his, his match winning performance in this competition. Yeah, I, I'd written Lou off in this group, um, but they... But they, for me, were blessed by the absence of Gonzalo Jara in, in this game. Jara, I've been very critical of now um, for, for, for a while. Um, yeah, I, I feel that he was one of the biggest reasons Chile didn't qualify for the World Cup. Um, and he was very poor for Lou for much of last year as well. And... Uh, Vaz, the new new signing from Flamengo, came into the defence and and he really impressed there at the back. Um, So I I felt that that was a bonus. Um, Jairo was out suspended. So that was a bit of a blessing in disguise for them, really. Yeah, so before this game, the only sign that my prediction of Lewis struggling in this group might, might be a bit off really came in the couple of weeks heading into this match where Lou did show some decent form in the league 
but it was more in the first few minutes of this game once I'd seen how Oyes had had set Lou up because he basically he packed the midfield and that's where Lou really gained control of this match. Um, I felt that they won the battle there despite having um, less possession than Van Van Vasco. The fact that they played two playmakers in Saldado and Arios meant that they always those those two playmakers always seemed to be in in the in the pockets of space between the Vasco defence and midfield, and Vasco never seemed comfortable um, picking them up, or, you know, throughout the night. And the hard work in Felipe Seymour in kind of defensive midfield cut off all the options for Vasco, you know, to get it to what we've seen before in this competition is that kind of a dangerous attacking trio up front. Although it was bizarre that Paulinho didn't start, no, Austin? Yeah, I believe he was dealing with an illness is what I saw. And so that's what kept him on the bench. He was brought on then at halftime. I think Zahid Cardo uh, realized the error of his way. But the Vasco attack for me, Adam, and I think, like you said, kind of what Hoyos did, uh, it really limited them. And they just were not at the type of form that they showed during the playoff round. Yeah, it was a... The one thing I kept popping into my head when watching this is kind of your original comments on Vasco, you know, before even the the first um, the first qualifying round began, um, where you know you were very doubtful about them making it to the group stage, and yeah, they were. I thought they were very poor on the night. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I was not impressed with Vasco in this match. Um, Zahi Cardo, I thought, deserved a lot of credit for what he was able to do in the playoff round, um, but I didn't think he was terribly effective in this match. I didn't think Vasco were set up right. They did not play particularly well. They were honestly fortunate that they kept 11 men on the pitch for the entire night, given what Duvirriascos did during this match. Picked up a yellow card 19 minutes in, uh, and then just was flirting with disaster for the next 70 minutes and somehow stayed on the pitch. I think he was fortunate to have a, a lenient whistle from the Uruguayan referee. But yeah, this was poor from Vasco. It was a deserved result for Lau. Uh, and, and as you said, Arauz was, was very, very impressive in this match. Uh, Adam, my question for you, I guess, is is what do you make now of those chances in this group? Because there's still Cruzeiro to play. There's still Racing to play. This is a great result, but it's still kind of hard to see them getting out of this group, no? Yeah, I, yeah, I have to agree with you there. Um, I always thought it was going to be Racing and Cruzeiro coming out, out of this group. But, you know, what this does give them is a great platform now build on now their next match is at home to Racing so if they can get a win there as well then suddenly you know the, the group looks very promising for them so yeah a lot's already on, on this next match and, and there'll be a if there, I think there'll be a great atmosphere there in Santiago I'm just going to miss it I don't move to Santiago until sort of about a week after um, their game against Racing so unfortunately I'm going to miss it but yeah, I think it's going to be a cracking atmosphere for 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 that one, and and I think that will be one of the games of the of the next round of fixtures um, at the beginning of April. Simon, one player who kind of stood out in this match, but for all the wrong reasons, was a Colombian, Riascos. <laughs> he 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 was 
he was one of the dirtiest players I think I've ever seen in the, in the Liverpool. Ah, uh, yeah, this was this was yeah, this was a Riasco's performance. This was on brand for him. He does this a lot. I, I was I was disgusted. I was shaking my head at halftime, thinking, "How on earth is he still on the pitch?" He, he was lucky not to get sent off at least twice in the, in the ninety minutes. Yeah, and I remember him from recently at Millonarios. And he's a player you can tell has a lot of ability, isn't always particularly effective, um, a bit hot and cold. And apparently tonight he was hot, but for all the wrong reasons, by, by the sounds of things. He's a player with you know, good skill, can make something out of nothing, you know, strong and quick, uh, direct. But yeah, sometimes uh, his decision making is a bit off and perhaps that stretches to his tackles or can we call them tackles? Uh, fouls, I think, is more accurate. <laughs> attempted tackles? Were they at least attempted at winning the ball? Not really, no. <laughs> both both times, well, one of the times were very late and the other time it was just kicking somebody off the ball for no reason. On a yellow card too, like he's just mental. It's like, come on, I, I don't know how he managed to stay on the pitch. Um, oh. did, he get, did he get sent off? Uh, no! He picked, exactly. picked up a yellow card 20 minutes into this match and somehow managed to not pick up another one. It was absurd. Exactly. Well, he, he calculated it perfectly. He's played He's played the referee perfectly. Good on him. Good on him, Riascus. Well enough a bad word said about him. Yeah, so, yeah, just just a little bit more on this match. So, uh, I think, I think Lou were always the side more likely to nick it. I saw a lot of people thinking it was like heading... To, heading to nil-nil which wouldn't have been a scandalous result but I do feel that Lou did deserve their win in the end but just one other thing which I found a little bit bizarre was uh, Fox Sports here who who show all the Libertadores matches they gave man of the match to David Pizarro now he for me was the worst Lou player on the pitch I think it was it was out of uh, Arios and Vaz most probably uh, or Bossayor possibly on the Lou side for man of a match, I thought personally Arreos was uh, was the was the was the best player on the park on the night, and yeah, he he was robbed of the official man of the match in this one. Yeah, and no, very quickly before we move on, I saw Jefferson Soteldo had some nice touches and looked like he was doing well. Obviously, for a twenty-year-old Venezuelan moving around, you know, he's on he's on loan, I believe, in Chile. How's he been doing? He's been getting good game time. Obviously, we're very impressed with him at youth level. How's he been doing in the league, and and you know what are his prospects moving forward? Yeah, I, I think this was possibly his best game so far for Universidad de Chile. Actually, he he has struggled to adapt a bit. I've seen um, all of his games so far this year in in the Chilean league, and it's certainly in the first couple of matches he he, he was struggling that, and uh, and there was all there's already talk of him being a bit of a flop for Lou, especially after such a big billing, but. Yeah, I think slowly but surely, Oyes, who's a good man manager, is is now getting the best out of him. Um, and I've, it'd be interesting how often uh, Lou used this kind of double playmaker tactic again with him and Arios both working um, in in tandem there um, behind Pinilla. Um I think I think that could be. Um, uh, an interesting tactic going forward and it might just give Soltero a little bit more space um, to work his magic with uh, the opposition defenders obviously preoccupied with a, another talented player 
also occupying similar spaces to him. So, yeah, because at the moment I feel that it's a little bit too easy to mark him out the game. Um, and that's something I saw when Huachapato came up against better sides last year. Colo Colo especially completely um, marked him out marked him out of the game at the end of at the end of last year um, when Colo Colo needed to win the game to win the title and there was a lot of build up like Soltero could be the man to, to to break their hearts and yeah he he was he was completely nullified. So yeah I feel um, he needs a bit more time to 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 adapt still to his teammates to to playing for a much bigger club here in Chile and also the kind of pressure which comes with that and also playing in the Libertadores. So it's going to be an interesting one moving forward, but I do still see him as, as the key player really in this side because on his day, as we've seen for Venezuela under-20s and Huachapato um, and as well in, in quite a few games last season, he can win games on his own when he's on it. So, yeah, um, yeah there's, there's plenty of talent there, but it does still need to be nurtured. Okay, um, a couple of hours before Vasco da Gama Universidad de Chile was Atletico Tucumán Libertad on Tuesday night. Um, Simon, I'll come to you first. So Libertad, the, the Paraguayan team, always sponsored by Pulp, which always pleases me. Um, little razzmatazz from, from them. Uh, but an impressive victory nonetheless. Yeah, it was a very good victory, but also a very flat Tucumán performance. Uh, great atmosphere. Uh, we, we say that often, but Tucumán, a nice stadium. They fill it. Great atmosphere to start off with. But the energy in the in the stands wasn't necessarily reflected on the pitch. It was very quite flat, really, from the Argentine side. Didn't produce a whole lot in the game. Um, you know, Libertad, away from home, obviously had some defending to do, but they did it fairly well fairly comfortably as well to be honest the two goals came in the second half both excellent worked crosses down the right uh, the first one played down to the byline with a little one-two the fullback overlapped sent it into the box and Santiago Salcedo towed it in at the near post and the second one was towed in at the far post by Rodrigo Alborno again down the right wing uh, where Libertad were most dangerous slipped down the side around the, the fence again another one-two and uh, crossed into the far post and, and, and you know, towed in uh, with a towed volley, getting in front of the defender at the far post. Very, very good win for Libertad um, in this group. Again, a group which is not the best in quality and, and quite even, you would think. So a very impressive, important away win in Argentina. Um, but very disappointing on Tucumán. Um, I was hoping for more and, and they weren't that good, really. They weren't very impressive and they, you know, you would expect at least a bit more enthusiasm a bit more passion with all the 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 crowd but they didn't really produce that much and uh libertad kind of were deserved winners in the end with with two good worked goals down the right hand side um puts them in a very good position in the group and austin you also caught some of this one what did you make of it yeah not a lot to add it's not the same Tucuman team that we saw last year i think that was that was pretty evident on this night, uh, good result for Libertad. And as Simon said, good three points away from home to put them at the top group three with one match played. Okay, and the other game on Tuesday night saw Cerro Porteño uh, beat Defensor Sporting of uh, Uruguay 2-1. An offside goal robbed the Uruguayans of a huge away point here. And you have to feel sorry for them, really. And it was uh, former Universidad de Concepcion uh, striker Diego Churin. 
the hero for the host. Simon, uh, I'll come to you on this one. Yeah, I think Cerro Porteño, again, another really great atmosphere there in uh, for this one. Uh, passionate, packed crowd. Um, I think Cerro Porteño would have been very disappointed to have not got the, the win at home. Uh, they scored early with, uh, as you mentioned, Diego Chordin, uh headering home uh, early on the ninth minute. And, you know, looked comfortable, looked in control. Defensa didn't really produce too much in the game. But just after halftime, with uh, Cerro Porteño probably coming out feeling very confident with how the first half had gone, they concede straight away with Carlos uh, Benavides scoring 47th minute just after halftime. Then Cerro Porteño, again, had to work very hard to get the win. The win eventually came in the 96th minute, I believe. Uh, an offside goal, as you mentioned, uh, crossed in from deep. And Turin was offside, but he managed to to, to evade the, <laughs> the the decision of the referee and then toe one over the goalkeeper. Nice little finish, but uh, definitely offside. But I think on the, the balance of play, tough on the visitors. But, I you know, I would say Cerro Porteño had the better of things, uh, looked fairly good. They would have been very, very disappointed to have not won this one. But in the end, they were somewhat fortunate to finally get the breakthrough, albeit in the final seconds of the game in the 96th minute. Okay, uh, moving back to Wednesday, so the, the same night as uh, Flamengo beat Emelec and how we opened this show. That night started with Colo Colo grabbing a very valuable away point in La Paz against uh, Bolivar. Yeah, so on kind of Chilean Twitter in the in the on the night and also the day following this game, there was a bit of a debate of how good of a point this was for Colo Colo, which which I found a bit bizarre because the all time home record of Bolivar in the Copa Libertadores, and thank you for Colo Colo in English, the excellent Twitter account for pointing this out to me. Yeah, they played 112 games. They've won 74 of them. Uh, drawn 26 and only 12 defeats, 236 goals scored, only 95 conceded. That's their all-time record in this competition. And you know, this is a side which you know not long ago reached sem- uh, semi-finals of this competition as well. So you know they've got good pedigree in in the Libertadores, especially at home. Um, so you know, getting a point here was certainly an excellent performance, and I was pleased for. The large contingent of Colo Colo fans uh, who made the trip across the border, uh, but they had something to cheer in La Paz. Um, yeah, so it was also a fantastic point given how poor they were for the first 37 minutes of this game, uh, where they failed to have you know any attacks really of note, um, and uh, and Bolivar plugged away, and finally their goal came via a penalty, which probably shouldn't have been given, because it certainly wasn't a deliberate handball. And yeah, an Arce penalty, and it was an Arce penalty, sorry, which beat Chile in La Paz um, a few months back in a painful World Cup qualifier for, for Chileans to remember, so bad memories came flooding back. He also put the penalty away here, but Simon, we were discussing uh, before the pod, with quite a bit of luck, no? It should have been ruled out. Uh, it looks like it should have been, you know, basically ran up to take it and he slipped and he's put it perfectly in the top corner, landed on his landed on his bum. And uh, yeah, it, it looks as though it's one of those ones where you kind of slip and normally your foot kicks into the other foot and it goes it goes flying, kind of a banana shot. Is it a banana shot? I don't know, but 
it looked as though he must surely have touched it twice. Looking at the replays, it's not, for me, that clear. But everything about it, it feels like he should have done. <laughs> yeah, to be fair to the officials, it, it probably was something very hard to see in normal time. But usually yeah. when players slip, that seems to happen, doesn't it? You know. Yeah, to, to slip and send it into the top corner, you, you think it's yeah, you think it must have gone off the right foot onto the left foot and then gone up in the air. But, you know, <laughs> top corner penalty, finished lying on the floor. Yeah, can't complain. But yeah, like I say, you know, certainly Colo Colo deserve to be behind anyway, so they can't have too many complaints. But that goal seemed to kind of you know, spring them into life, really. Um, and they hit back just a couple of minutes later from a corner, which uh, which came over to the far post, Rivero, the Uruguayan, not Paraguayan, as, as uh, a couple of people pointed out to me, um, fired home um, from a few yards out. Uh, fine strike, and yeah, that, that was enough to give Colo Colo a point, and the second half was a lot more even affair. It was a lot more of an even affair. So, yeah, I felt that Claudio uh, Bowser in, 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 in midfield for Colo Colo gave, him a, gave a decent performance um, as well. So, you know, another Chilean making an impression on the biggest uh, club stage on the continent, which has been an unusual thing to say in recent years. So uh, another big positive there as well. But, yeah, overall, I was a little bit surprised at how defensive Colo Colo were, were, but given... Like I say, Bolivar's strength at home in this competition over the years, I think it's understandable. And they had to get something after that disappointing um, opening defeat against uh, Atletico Nacional a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, well done to Colo Colo. And, yeah, and they rounded, rounded off a good week for once in, in the Chilean sides in, in the Copa Libertadores. Okay, moving on. Um, Austin, you watched this one. Estudiantes 3, Real Gaslioso 0. Um, the Peruvians got off to a brilliant start last week, but away matches were always going to be tricky for them um, in, in, in the Libertadores, I think it's fair to say, this year. But was it as easy as the scoreline makes it look? No, it was not. I thought Garcia Lasso were not terrible in this match. Uh, their goalkeeper, Morales, the Argentine goalkeeper, played really well, came up with some big saves. As you said, it was always going to be difficult. Just a point here would have been magnificent for them and would have really given them a chance in this group. still think they have a bit of a chance, obviously, playing at the altitude that they have. Um, nine points probably won't be enough to get them out, but if they could just get something away to either Santos uh, or Nacional, and the way Nacional have been playing, they could still have a chance, uh, then, you know, they're in with a shout. Uh, this match was played on a very rainy night in Buenos Aires, and it was actually stopped for about 90 seconds in about the 50th minute, um, and that was kind of the turning point of this match, oddly enough. A couple minutes after they came back from that 90-second break where the referee sent the teams to the sidelines as it looked like it started to hail and then quickly stopped, uh, Studiantes came out, they had a corner, and Milano was unmarked at the far post and just kind of poked it in for 1-0. And then Garcilaso just didn't have all that much beyond that. They gave away a penalty, and uh, Pavone scored the first of what would eventually be two goals for him on the night. 3-0, a good result for Estudiantes, uh, the type of result that they needed. You know, So far, they've executed their game plan. They went and, and put us all to sleep and got a point against Nacional and Montevideo. 
And then they came out of that and got three points here against a Garcia Lasso side that you should beat at home. So they sit atop this group with four points. Um, it, maybe it wasn't as easy as 3-0 would suggest, but they were the deserved winners on the night. Sounds like that weather break may have broken their concentration. Yeah, it was it was weird. It, and it did seem like it was a turning point in this match for whatever reason. Um, they played through really heavy rain and then stopped, but didn't stop for long enough that it felt like it was it was warranted. Um, and that kind of, it seems, just gave Estudiantes a push or, or broke Garcia. So not exactly sure, but yeah, it, it definitely felt like a turning point in this match. Okay, uh, another one-sided match, well, result-wise anyway, it looks like to me, um, I didn't see it, was Atletico Nacional 4, Delfin 0. Um, Simon, obviously I'll come to you given it was another big win for the Colombian side. Another one-sided match looking at result, like I said, but I saw some people on Twitter suggest that the Ecuadorians were very much in it until they went down to 10 men. Any truth in that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, well, firstly, Delphin aren't very good. Um, so we shouldn't read too much into the game. But for the first 40 minutes, 35 minutes, they were very much in it. Uh, it was quite even. You know, Nacional weren't passing the ball, moving the ball as well as they were towards the end of the game. I think a lot of the issues Delphin had, again, came as the game started running away from them and they were down to 10 men and they were chasing things. Um, the Nacional got the penalty early on. Dada Moreno stepped up very confidently. You know, a player who can sometimes have issues in terms of his effectiveness, his all-round game, his hold-up play. But, you know, in terms of finishing, in terms of his technique, he's superb and, and honestly one of the better players in the continent. Uh, at striking a ball, at hitting a ball, his touch is always very good. So, you know, it was a fortunate penalty in some regard. Corner came in and there was a, you know, a stray arm that caught the national player. But perhaps fair, but unfortunate for Delphin. Then they got a red card uh, just before half time, And I think that really was the end for them in a lot of ways. Down 1-0 and down to 10 men away from home. Uh, national came out from the second half very confident as you would expect having the man advantage and having the lead they scored almost immediately after half time uh, a nice goal it was a it was a delphin tackle that actually fell to uh Renato lenis who scored his first of two goals in this game um a player who was one of the high profile additions for nacional when they were looking to really put upon the squad but uh has made a decent start so far the second goal was very nice lenis played it in towards he received on the right hand side of the box played it in towards dada moreno dada moreno stepped over it ran off to the right, let it let it drift through his legs, and then McNelly tucked it away. Uh, the final goal again, Lenny scored a goal. Uh, it was a McNelly-Torres corner, taken early, uh, drilled into the near post, and Lenny volleyed it home, uh, kind of a low volley. So for Nacional, a very confidence-building result. Uh, the manager has said, you know, we're still getting used to each other. This is, this is a process. But this is obviously a good result for Nacional. I don't think Delphine are particularly good. Um, the experience they lack at this level, I think, somewhat showed in this game. Um, but again, it's difficult going away from home, going down to 10 men against a talented Nacional side. Um, I think Nacional structurally have some issues, but when they get, when they get all of their talented attacking players, Vladimir Hernandez, Magneli Torres, who had a much better game than we've seen, for example, last year he was struggling, but he really looks like he's back at it with this performance. Dado Moreno. When these players are all close to each other and they're moving the ball quickly, I think there's a lot of quality there. And if they can kind of build some understanding, uh, I think they'll be effective. They don't have the out-and-out target man. They don't have the, they're not going to score many simple goals. But if they play as sharply as they did in the second half, 
I think they'll score enough goals to be a, a threat in this competition. So again, lots and lots of positives, but I would put the caveat that Delphin aren't that good, and that's had a little bit of luck in terms of having that early got the early penalty and the sending off. I think those decisions really made this a much easier night than it could have been for Nacional. Uh, but yeah, so far so good. Two wins, six points, goal difference of plus five. Much better than last year. Okay, moving on. Corinthians 2, Lara 0. The Brazilian champions, far from impressive, Austin, but they did find a way to beat the Venezuelans in the end. Yeah, this was a match that Corinthians went into with a lot of pressure on them. Uh, they did not debut well in this competition. Um, they went to Bogota and did not score a goal, got a point against Milanarios. Um, and when you play that way, you put a lot of pressure on yourself at home. Um, and for about the first hour, it looked like Corinthians didn't know what to do with that pressure. A lot of were well set up. It was it was easy to see how they got a win in their first match in this competition. They were well set up, but they were also not necessarily dangerous on the ball, but composed with it. They didn't immediately give the ball back whenever they did win it. And I was I was really impressed with this Lada side. Um, and then Corinthians finally just got fortunate. It, it, you know, look, it was deserved on the run of play. They, they created the chances. They had the ball. They weren't necessarily incisive with it, but but look, they, they were the better team. There's no doubt about that. Emerson Shaky, yes, that one is, is still kicking around in Brazil. Uh, a ball was crossed into him, and a really nice header, in truth, into the ground, and it beat the goalkeeper to the near post uh, for 1-0. And then an unfortunate own goal for Lada kind of ended their night. Rodriguinho sent in, it was a combo shot cross that just took a wicked deflection and beat the keeper for 2-0, which is, is in truth, a flattering scoreline to Corinthians. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but they deserved the three points here, even if it wasn't terribly impressive. Uh, that's kind of their M.O. You know, they get the result, they grind it out, and that's what they did here. They're on four points at the top of the group. Um, the other results have, have kind of been in their favor so far. So, look, Corinthians are, are, are where they'd want to be, even if they haven't necessarily looked very impressive in getting there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, Lara definitely tried to defend, and I think they kind of drew the pressure from Corinthians for doing that. Didn't look particularly dangerous in the counterattack, but... Um, yeah, I just think Corinthians are, are a lot. When a team puts so many crosses into the box, and again, it, it can be an effective cross where you pick out a man who's free at the far post, but when the box is packed, throwing so many balls into the box, again, you think statistically one of them is going to end up bouncing into the net, but uh, it does seem to leave a lot to chance against a, an inferior opponent. And I think Corinthians really did that a bit too much, perhaps, in this game. Again, they, it paid off. They got the goal. Great goal from Sheik can't believe he's still knocking about <laughs> um i discovered him when he was about 32 i was like oh he's really good um i'm not a brazilian football expert but i thought oh he's a good player and then i realized he's 32 and I, okay but he's uh, he's still knocking about that was about 10 years ago uh, it feels um but yeah you know corinthians got the result but i think I'll, there's a lot of work to do for them to, to to be able to beat better sides lara didn't really offer much on the counter but uh just throwing the ball into the box for 75 80 minutes looking for a goal uh, is not necessarily a formula for, for for guaranteed success moving forward, especially against opponents who are so organised as, as Lara won this night. So, yeah, you know, it, it kind of felt it was coming throughout the game. But, uh, you know, I do think that Corinthians really need to offer more uh, creatively and have a bit more of a, a plan than just stick it into the far post and, and hope we get there ahead of them. 
Yeah, and Simon, and, and that's been Corinthians' problem in this competition over the past few appearances for them, is they come up against a really well-organized side and they just look lost. It's what allowed Nacional to knock them out. It's what allowed Guarani to knock them out. They just have no nobody that can break that down. I think Rodriguinho was really their only player that you would trust to kind of go in in a situation like that and come out with anything. And now without Joe, that plan of just sending it into the box and, and hoping for good things doesn't really work when the players that they have are the players that are inside the box. So yes, they got the three points here. Yes, they'll probably get out of this group. But look, they're probably going to have to break somebody down at some point in this competition if they want any hopes of winning it. And if they can't do that, they're probably going to go out in the round of 16 or the quarterfinals yet again. Okay, let's turn the page and look at Thursday night. Simon, I come to you first for the strongest one, Peñarol, Neil. Um, I only saw the last few minutes of this one where the Uruguayans were labouring to try and find an equaliser. Um, but from what I heard and read, the Bolivians deserved their narrow victory and that gives them a good platform to build on in this group now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think this is exactly the kind of game that the strongest are, are made for, <laughs> you know, against a team that's, again, Peñarol, again, they rely often on kind of their physical, their combative nature, you know, defending well. They're not really the kind of team who are well suited to going away and, you know, outclassing a, a side like the strongest who will have the advantage at altitude at home. But yeah, a good a good game for the strongest. Um, obviously, our man Pablo Escobar had a good game. Uh, looked looked sprightly and uh, and fresh. Carcelén got the goal for for the strongest. I was also impressed by Raúl Castro. I thought he had some nice touches. Some nice contributions for the for the home side. Um, the strongest took the lead in 20 minutes, and I think that really set themselves up nicely. You know, Peñarol then had to chase the game, which isn't really what they'd wanted to do going away to Bolivia, uh, and it meant that the strongest always had that a- extra edge in terms of stamina, in terms of dealing with the altitude, and a good bit of quality as well. I think these are two evenly matched sides, but you stick it in uh, the altitude of Bolivia, and you know, have Peñarol chasing the game, and I think. Uh, it was always going to go one way. Um, obviously, you know, Penrill made some chances later on, but the strongest, I think, definitely had the edge in this one, being at home. Uh, and, you know, they looked a bit of quality as well. Nice to see that from the strongest, one of our favourite teams. Uh, Escobar having some good good games again still. And, uh, yeah, nice nice win. Strongest at home against a kind of comparable, comparable uh, leveled opponent in a, in a very even group. I think this is exactly what the strongest need to do to progress. I'd find it interesting to know um, how Peñarol um, prepared to, for their outing against the strongest compared to how Colo Colo prepared for, their, for theirs against uh, Bolivar. Because I was reading that Colo Colo basically got to the ground pretty much as late as they possibly could. Um, you know, they left everything to the last minute. They had brought quite a few oxygen tanks with them, but at half time, apparently there was only enough for about half the team. Um, it, it wasn't enough for for all of them. So yeah, I I, I do wonder if how the Uruguayans um, approached it. I did I did briefly search before the pod to try and see if there was in, any info about that, but I can uh, I couldn't find it. So if any of our Uruguayan football fanatics um, who listen to us have any info on that, I'll be interested to know how they prepared differently to Colo Colo or I prepared exactly the same because to me it looked like Colo Colo had a, had a bit more legs in them than, than Peñarol did. Yeah well P- 
Penuel stayed in the game to the end. They kept they kept it competitive, but I think you could always see on the break that they were struggling. It'll be interesting to see how other teams deal with that. It's obviously one of the narratives and one of the stories we have in the Libertadores. Um, but you know, Penuel stayed in the game. They could have snatched something at the end, but I definitely feel that the the advantage that the strongest have was evident and they played pretty good football as well. So it'd be interesting to see moving forward how that affects this group. Yeah, I'm, and I'm also interested this year to see how the strongest do away from home because they've certainly improved in the last couple of years that, um, f- from how they were a few years ago and, and they've got a couple of impressive results um, in the last couple of years in the Livid stories on the road. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of make them favourites for this group now after this victory. So, yeah, let Let's see how that pans out. Austin, I'll come back to you to discuss Santos Free National 1. After Venetia Jr.'s heroics on Wednesday night, an even younger uh, Brazilian, and an exciting one at that, um, scored a brilliant individual effort. And as Santos saw off, uh, saw, saw off National. Yeah, Rodrigo with the Y. Um, as he's known in Brazil, Rodrigo com Y, uh, with the second goal for Santos in this three-run result. Man, Nacional are poor. Um, I knew that, and I'm aware of that, and they're kind of always poor, but they yeah, were really bad Austin, in this match. I, this is the thing. I kept saying that whoever played them in the playoff rounds was going to beat them, uh, and they kept proving me wrong, but I, I was confident that when they got to the group stage, they, they would struggle here. Even though they're in a, hmm, this is probably one of the weaker groups. I think we agreed, didn't we? Yeah, but yeah, yeah I, I, I think so too. I, I still, I still don't see them coming through. I don't rate them at all. No, and and on this night, um, Santos did well to score early. You know, that's kind of the key against Nacional is is especially when they're on the road, they're going to show up and they're going to try to take their point back home with them, nil nil. And Santos didn't let them do that. The early goal from Eduardo Sasha. Um, made it 1-0 early, and then, you know, Santos kind of got Nacional a little bit. Their best attacking player, Gabriel Barbosa, Gabby Gol, back at Santos after a disappointing spell overseas, picks up an early yellow card for kind of getting into it with the Nacional player, and then right on halftime, just a really dumb challenge in the Nacional half, just goes barging into a player, picks up his second yellow, gets sent off. And at that point, you know, you're thinking, okay, Santos might be in trouble here. Um, But coming out at halftime, as you said, that great individual goal from Rodrigo put them up 2-0. Nacional finally started to play some football and and find their footing uh, about an hour to 70 minutes into this match. And on the 82nd minute, they did get a goal back, Oliva scoring it to making it to one and it looked like it was going to be all set up for a frenetic kind of 10 or so minutes to finish it uh and no sooner had nacional picked the ball up out of the net and set it down in the center circle than santos had restarted and scored a third goal with sasha getting his brace to make it 3-1 um good result for santos especially after this the disappointing start against garcia lasso um santos like a lot of the you know good to above average teams in this competition. It's going to be nine points at home and then see what you can get away from home. They already dropped, you know, all of the points against Garcia Lasso, but they'll look at an away match against Nacional and think they can get something from that. They'll look at a trip to Estudiantes and think that they can get something from that. And that should be enough to see them out of this group. 
I don't necessarily see them as a threat to go deep in this competition, but you never do know. You know, sometimes you don't have to be the best team. You just have to hit the form at the right time. Uh, but this was a good result for Santos at the Pac Game Boo and Sao Paulo. Good, good atmosphere and a good bounce back from them. It's what they needed after the way they started. Uh, and, and lucky for them, they ran up against the Nacional team that were, were fairly toothless on the night. Rounding off the uh, Copa Libertadores action um, this week was Independiente 1. Millionarios zero. Um, yeah, Simon. Now you're you're probably going to have to defend the honor uh, of the Col- Colombian side here because I have some harsh words for for the team in blue. But first, I do want to play praise uh, Meza for for Independiente. He was everywhere for the hosts. Um, I was actually quite impressed with Independiente. How busy they were all over the park. In fact, they never let the Colombian settle on on the ball. And uh, yeah, uh, for me, one nil was. I've, I think probably two nil would have been a more fairer reflection on this game. It, it was one nil makes it sound a lot more uncomfortable than it actually was for Independiente. Yeah, I just me and Arias just don't carry enough of a threat for me. It's a, uh, they're a strange side. Uh, you know, they're, they're fairly tidy. I suppose you could say. But they don't have much of an X factor about them. They're sort of just okay, and they really lack a real threat up front, like I say. And, and they and they don't seem to have much an idea how to construct an attacking move. Even it's it's all very kind of one dimensional. Yeah, it feels like they've caught the same disease that that infected their city rival Santa Fe in in recent years. Uh, um, yeah, they they're just pretty dull all round and. It was, it's disappointing, really, because they were kind of a team I was looking forward to seeing them seeing in the Libertadores, mainly because of their their goalkeeper Ferinias, of course. Um, and we'll speak a little bit about him in a minute because I know you've got a point to make on him, Simon. But yeah, Millionaires, what are they doing in the in this Libertadores? Because for me, they don't look like they particularly belong. Yeah, I think it's not much right, but not that much wrong either. <laughs> I think um, nice to be spot on with my preview, <laughs> in a way. Again, they were competitive. They didn't lose badly, as exactly as I expected. Um, they've got a point so far, which, again, is, is reflective. You know, I suggested that they'd be tight in all of their games, but I could also see them kind of being edged out with, a, as you mentioned, a lack of you know, structure and a lack of creativity. Um, they resorted to quite a few long shots in this game as well as they got frustrated. Santiago Montoya came on and came on, gave a little bit more quality, a little bit more, uh, in midfield in terms of a few passes to open up briefly the Independiente defence. But as you mentioned, they were quite quick to close those spaces. Aaron Del Valle has an excellent goal-scoring record in Colombia, uh, the forward. Again, resorted to long-range efforts. They brought on Roberto Ovelar, who again is more of a bustling target man forward, but um, and with Del Valle and Ovelar, these are two forwards with decent pedigree. But I think the issue is, you either play them both together and then have nothing creative behind them, or you play one and and, and you kind of struggle to get the ball to them. You know, I I think okay again across their midfield, everyone's fairly decent, but this is the issue. You know, if you have a lot of quite good players but nobody particularly exceptional um, or nobody who's going to do something out of the ordinary, you're going to struggle. Um, and they're a solid team of decent all-round players, but 
you either need an exceptional player to, to make the difference or you need an exceptional idea in terms of how you get the best out of those players. Because having a team full of sensible, intelligent, sound passers who do their work defensively, you know, that can be a, a real strength. But uh, unless you have a way of making that normal, standard build-up play something a bit more exceptional, whether, you know, you double up on a fullback or whether you look to kind of wrong foot the opposition, you know, it needs to be something tactically and, and we're not getting any of that so far from Mijanadios. So I don't think they're bad. I don't think they play particularly bad. I think maybe a little bit harsh, but again, I completely understand. They're, they're not they're not doing anything. You know, you can stay in a game and you can move the ball fairly well and have a decent amount of possession, but that's not going to win you points on its own. And, and if they concede, then they concede and that's, that's going to be them going down. Uh, with the goal, as you mentioned, Farinas, you know, he's exceptional. He's he's incredible. Um, no doubt he's an exceptional shot, shot, shot stopper. But with the goal, it was pulled back to the edge of the box, fell to Martin Benitez, who did cook it really well. Had two Mijanadios defenders in front of him, slightly to the right of him, and he shifted the ball to the right and hit it round the side to the right-hand corner of the goal. But uh, Farinas was way across the other side of the goal. And again, that may be a little bit of experience. I think he was trying to kind of predict the, the forward and who would look to go to the space of the goal where there wasn't the Mijanadis defenders and the, the Independiente forward curled it round them. But uh, it did leave him looking a little, little bit silly uh, onto the left-hand side when the ball was off to the right. So left a little bit flat-footed there. Again, maybe it's just experience, but he's a superb goalkeeper regardless, a great shot to the upper. But in that instance, he definitely looked to kind of try and predict the forward and was left a bit uh, flat-footed there. Yeah, I think it was Benitez's quick feet which might have uh, fooled him a little bit there now managing to to switch it onto his right like you say um and when i watched the goal i thought ah it was one of those where it just looked like it was a bit of an odd goal like like you say with Farini mm. completely stranded at the other corner of the goal and you're like oh how did that happen yeah yeah it's definitely a definitely a tidy finish as well um really good goal and you know an excellent win for the argentines at home exactly what they needed and this is kind of what I feared from Mijanadios. You know, they would be in all of these games, but they wouldn't have that cutting edge, that creativity, that X factor to to do much more than a narrow defeat or a nil-nil draw at home. Yeah, I quite like the look of Independiente, I have to say, overall. Um, to me, they look like a side who who could go quite far in this tournament. But yeah, it's, it's, it's early days. But that's what makes Indep- that's what makes Independiente's result against Lada so weird is that they didn't they went to play a Venezuelan team on the road and that should be the surest thing in this competition they didn't come away with anything which I agree with you on paper this is an Independiente team that should absolutely be up there among the favorites yeah but you can you can sort of uh, forgive the 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 odd shock it was very early in the competition caught up a little bit cold. You know, their, their last continental matches were big ones, weren't they? The Sudamericana final and also the Recopa final. So probably that trip to Venezuela. Yeah, they probably didn't take it seriously as they as they probably should have done. And, um, and I reckon they've probably learned their lesson from that. Okay, and so that finishes us up for this week. I'll just, um, I'll just come back to Simon Austin to see if I've got anything to plug. Uh, first of all, Simon... Um, I know you've been in Peru this week, so you haven't been 
around as much as you usually are on Twitter. Well, I've been working my way to 3,000 followers. I think I'm like three off. So this could be your chance if you're listening to be the number 3,000. There's a special stop, prize. Stop, There's, stop. What, what, what is... are we doing? We're not, we're not plugging ourselves here. This isn't, this isn't get ourselves Twitter followers moment. But that's what we're doing right now, no? That's just so good. You don't even, you're not even plugging <laughs> your own content. Just follow me because I'll give you a prize for being 3,000. That's <laughs> not how this works. Hey. Wait, I've, I've been What's doing the prize? some assigned AFC Envigado shirt. <laughs> AFC. AFC Envigado. Not even the real Envigado. Hey, the new Envigado. You wouldn't say, you wouldn't go, oh, AFC Wimbledon. Well, they, they, they're not even the real Wimbledon. Um, anyway, so I, some Twitter stuff. Plus, we'll do a team of the week, right? So you can check that out on our collective Twitters. You can check it out on Austin's Twitter if, we're gonna, if he's going to be upset about me plugging myself go to austin's twitter to check out the team of the week and give austin some abuse for the poor selections included thank you simon i appreciate that if you do want to give me that abuse it's at austin underscore james 906 on twitter i am not nearing 3,000 followers on twitter but i'm okay with that i'm proud of the content i make and i i don't need to to beg for followers just to get to some arbitrary number to make myself feel good oh my god this, this is like reverse begging this is like I don't need to beg. You know, I'm feel I feel satisfied with the with the lowly amount of followers I have. So you know, I, I know what you're doing, Miller. Adam, where are you at on Twitter? I'm at Adam Brandon eighty four. One thing I will say: at least he's not buying followers. Eh? This week, uh, what is there to plug? So on the World Football Index site, um, we're recording this on Friday night, and and it's ninety days to the World Cup. So um, I'm kind of reissuing or remastering something I did four years ago for for WFI and that's a 90 day countdown to the World Cup where I've got a goal for for each day corresponding to the minute it was scored in so the 90th minute um, today was a goal Simon probably will enjoy seeing and that was Freddie Rincon's equaliser for Colombia against West Germany in, in the 1990 World Cup that was scored in the 90th minute so that's the goal for for today and uh, and probably by the time you've listened to this pod you've also seen uh, the 89th minute uh, goal and uh, of Dennis Bergkamp against Argentina so yeah a couple of South American mentions in there already so yeah if you if if you click on if you click on the tweet, you can see the goal and see the context and the what happened next and and there's a few extras there as well, um, some interesting links that people might want to check out. So uh, yeah, give give me a follow, give WFI a follow. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes. That would be lovely. If not, then just give us lots of love on Twitter and and retweet us when you can. So, on behalf of Simon and Austin, I just want to give a big thank you to everybody who's downloaded this podcast this week. And it's goodbye from them and goodbye from me.